That should inspire you, right? Um, so if you were here last week, you know that, <laughs> ironically, there was a water main break here at the Tivoli um, last week, and we had to evacuate the theater, um, you know, right after the singing, uh, you know, right after the fourth song, I think. We got four songs in, and then we had to leave. So this week has been a little bit touch and go, and I wasn't totally sure whether or not the water would be fixed, and even as of Friday, it wasn't totally clear that we were going to have water. And so um, I was calling the theater, and we were, you know, we were communicating, and finally at one point I said, you know what, I'm going to go, I got to talk to some, I got to talk to the horse's mouth. I got to go down and get right down to it. So I came down to the theater, and I saw a plumbing truck in front of the Tivoli, and I went up to a couple guys there, a couple plumbers, and I said, guys, uh, my name's Brent. Yeah, there we go. This is Ray. And Ray said to me, I just want you to know we're going to have water for you for your baptism service. I said, thank you, Ray. So I just want to say thanks to Ray. Big, big thanks to Ray. So let me just disclose, fully disclose my personal goal today. Thanks, Michelle. You can take that down. Me and, me and Ray are... Um, uh, my personal goal is that if you are here today and you have never been baptized, but you are a, a believer and you commit your heart to the Lord and, you know, maybe even you do it today during service, you're on the fence and you've been thinking about it. My goal for you today is that at the end of this service, you would say, I'm going to get baptized today. We, we had, we had, sir, we had, uh, we had um, a baptism class before service, but you do not have to have attended that class to get baptized today. In fact, uh, several people, last time we had a baptism service, came to church not anticipating to get baptized and left church baptized, right? And I'm looking at a few of them right here. So awesome. So awesome. Um, so today, I just want to invite you to do that. If you were baptized at, and it was not your, you know, you were at an age, you were a child or an infant, and you, and you say, you know, I would actually, not to take anything away from that, but, but I would like to, the opportunity as an adult to make the decision myself. That was more of a dedicatory baptism for my parents. But I want to make, make the concerted choice today on my own that I personally, as a follower of Jesus, want to get baptized. Then I want to invite you at the end of our service to get baptized today. So... Um, I know that you maybe have a few objections to this idea, like um, I don't have anything to wear into the baptismal tank. What about my hair? Uh, what about, you know, my family's not here? Well, we've thought about all of that. So let me just show you real quick what we've got for you. Mother Ray's been working on this. Mother Ray's our baptism team leader. Well, she's got it all together. We got flip-flops. We've got, we've got uh, shower caps. We've got shorts. We've got um, undergarments of all varieties and all sizes. Um, we have hair products. We have a professional photographer here who will take your picture as you are getting baptized. You can post it on Facebook and Instagram. This is not a commercial for Jurgens, but we do have some apparently some Jurgens here. Um, we have basically we have got you covered. Uh, we've got a we've got a room over here to the side for the women to change, and we have a room right in the back where the men can change. Um, so I say all that to say that if at the end of this sermon you say, you know what, I'm ready, then there's no obstacle and there's nothing in the way of you making the decision and getting baptized today. How do you like that? Cool? All right. 
All right, now let me get these bathroom products off, off here. Mother Ray said, if you're going to mention the unmentionables, just call them unmentionables. And just, we have those. We have all of it. Uh, so so, so that today we're exploring this theme, dynamite, living your life with power. And um, the, the focus of today's uh, sermon is the power of identity. The power of identity and, and identifying oneself and the power that comes with that when we identify ourselves totally, completely with Christ and what that does for us. I'm going to show you a picture of a guy that you probably don't recognize. Um, This is a guy whose name is Benjamin Kyle. And Benjamin Kyle uh, is not his real name. In fact, Benjamin doesn't know his real name. Uh, He doesn't know his social security number. He doesn't know anything about himself. Back in August of 2004, at about five o'clock in the morning in Richmond Hills, Georgia, the police got a call from a person that worked at Burger King. And the person said, there is a man who has been badly beaten. He is naked and bleeding behind a dumpster here at the Burger King. And I don't know if he's dead or alive. Uh, So the police came out. The ambulance came out. They picked up this man. They took him to the hospital. And they assumed that, you know, shortly they would be able to get some identifying information and contact his family. Um, but the more they talked to him and the longer he was there day after day and then week after week, it became apparent that he didn't know his name. He didn't know his social security number. He didn't know what state he was from. He didn't know when he was born. He didn't know how old he was. He didn't know what he looked like. He had no idea who he was. He had what's called disassociative amnesia. He didn't know anything about himself. His identity, presumably by, by blunt trauma to the head, had been completely erased, totally and completely erased. The local news media picked up on this story and they did, they aired a segment about him. And then Dr. Phil, the the television uh, personality, uh, picked up on that story and uh, ran a whole show several years ago about this man, Benjamin Kyle, and put pictures of him everywhere, uh, you know, had him on national television and basically said, Does anybody know who this guy is? Because he doesn't know who he is. The FBI tried to help. They did fingerprints with him and ran him through all sort of databases. They took DNA and tried to run that through all sort of databases. They did facial recognition uh, technology, ran that through all sort of databases. They never have figured out who this man is. 11 years later now, and nobody knows who Benjamin Kyle really is. And so... This is a person, he's actually the only person in the United States missing persons registry whose whereabouts is actually known. It's just that his identity is not known, right? And so fundamentally, he's asking the question, who am I? Who am I? That's the question he's asking. And to some extent, that is the question that each and every single one of us ask ourselves on a daily, on a weekly, on a monthly, on a yearly basis. Or maybe it's something that to some extent we've resolved, right? So we've, we've designated our identity by virtue of our family status. I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a brother, I'm a sister, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, and that's part of my identity. Whenever I'm in my neighborhood, um, I'm always known as I'm Rebecca's husband, Because she is a teacher in our neighborhood and she has an art camp and everybody knows Rebecca and they go, oh yeah, you're Rebecca's husband. So that's my identity. Um, 
Some other ways that we identify ourselves maybe is through our job, through our occupation. I'm a, I'm a janitor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a bus driver. I'm a teacher. I'm a factory worker, whatever it is. And you identify yourself through your work. Other ways that you may identify yourself is through your political affiliation. I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. I'm a libertarian. I'm, you know, and wh- whatever you are and you identify yourself in that way, right? Other ways that we identify ourselves is maybe through our personality or our skills or uh, things that we like. I'm an artist or I'm a musician or your, your Myers-Briggs analysis. I'm an ENFJ. Any other ENFJs around? Yeah, okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, one day I knew I liked you. Um, um, I think I saw another ENFJ. Okay, we'll have an ENFJ life group starting next uh, semester. How about that? <laughs> um, <laughs> That we just did, we, for those of you that are, we just went off into some nerdy personality jokes. Uh, we just descended. We'll come back. Um, so we, we define ourselves in all of these different ways, right? But what we're really, really asking, what is at the core of what we're asking is who am I really? Like, what is my purpose? What is my meaning in life? What is the purpose of my existence? Why am I here? You know, I I remember there was a point in my own life when, before I was a believer, and I was trying to answer this question for myself. Who am I? What is my real purpose? What is my real focus in life? What's the meaning of my life? And I kept coming back to this phrase. I kept saying to myself, well, it's just by the accident of my birth, I would say. It was just the accident of my birth that I was born to this family. It was just by the accident of my birth that I was born into this environment, into this country. Into this. And at one point, it occurred to me that this idea that my, that the, my birth was accidental was a presumption that I was making without any evidence. Because I thought, well, wait a minute. It's possible that actually it wasn't an accident. It's possible that there was a purpose. It's possible that my life has meaning, that there's some real value to it, that there was some plan, design behind me existing. And that changed, helped to change the course and the direction of my life. Now, Jesus, when he walked the earth, his primary, one of his primary concerns was answering that question, the question Who am I? Who are you? Primarily interested in helping people identify themselves, not by all of the external factors that are temporary, that can dissipate. You know, you lose your job, and then that piece of your identity goes out the window. Someone in your family dies, and suddenly that piece of your identity goes out the window, right? So Jesus, when he came, he kept trying to get people to let go of these sort of temporary identity factors and to identify deeply with their relationship with God. And in fact, because he claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, he kept getting, trying to get people to primarily identify with him and to say, look, I want you to be with me. I want, I want your allegiance to me to be your primary identity, and then all of your other identities, your family, your politics, your all this, are subservient to your identity to me. Right? But primarily, you're identified with me. In fact, he would say things like this. He said, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he said, anyone who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And what he's saying is, you know, I want your allegiance and your affiliation and your identity with me to be of greater importance than your identity 
with even your own family, all the things that you hold dear. He also said that the next one there, he said, whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's a profound statement that he's making. He's saying, if you're trying to hold on to your own identity, if you're trying to save who you are based upon all of the little factors that you've compiled together to form your identity, you will end up with nothing because none of those have ultimate eternal value. None of those are ultimately eternally meaningful, okay? But if you primarily identify with me, if you lose that for the sake of identifying with me, then you're going to find life. You're going to find an abundance of life. Your life, both here and beyond, is going to be filled to the brim because you have identified with the eternal, not with the temporal. That's what he's saying. That's the power of identifying with Jesus. Now, Jesus would address different uh, people at different times and, and, and um, have them, you know, he would, he would call out to people in different uh, ways, in different statuses, people of different identities, right? And, and, let me explain. We, we all do this, right? So he would start by addressing the community, right? So the community is basically everybody. If you go to that next slide, Michelle, there's, he had basically um, six levels we're calling them of identity, okay? And this is, this is uh, uh, Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback. He, he, he has this outline where he kind of takes this big idea and breaks it down into bite-sized chunks. I improved it just slightly for you today. Um, but the first, the first one is the community. And the community, at least for us here at U-City Family Church, this includes everybody within driving distance of U-City Family Church. Driving or flying, actually. You know, if you want to commute here from overseas, that's fine. You can be part of our community. Um, we have people at Scott Air Force Base and folks out in Wildwood and Chesterfield area, um, and then people that walk here. So, first of all, the first level of identity is everybody, right? And this level of identity requires absolutely no commitment whatsoever because you're not even here. You're not even here. You're out there somewhere, right? But what we want to do is alter that identity from community to, uh, to crowd. And the crowd are, is the people that come on a Sunday morning, and really the role of the crowd is nothing more than to come and see, come and experience. And I love that you City Family Church, we have this environment where it's like wherever you are on your walk, wherever you are intellectually, wherever you are spiritually, we want you here. We want to hang out with you. We want to spend time with you. We want to create an environment where you feel comfortable coming here, right? And all you have to do is just come and see. We'll get you some coffee. We've got some little Nutri-Grain bars out there. We'll take care of your kids. You know, we'll, you know, we got good music up here. The preaching's not bad, you know, sometimes. So, so you know, just come, come and see. Um, the next level of that is the committed. And the committed are those people who come and grow. They change from their identity of, hey, I'm just checking this out, to, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to start growing here, right? And so we have our, our growth track, our 101, our 201, our 301. People become members of our church, and they make a commitment, and they say, you know what? I'm taking a step further in my walk with Christ. And it's not just our church. This could be any church that follows Jesus. And you, you start to make a commitment. And you say, I'm going to take that next step as a, as a follower of Jesus. I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to grow in my faith and start developing in my faith. Then the next step after that would be the compassionate. 
And we call this the come and care. And for this identity, this status of identity, uh, we have life groups and ways that you can get plugged into uh, people's lives here in our church and start developing relationships and caring for them. You know, in life groups, that's a place where you end up having more intimate conversations. People can open up and they can share and they can say, this is what's going on in my life. And you can share and say, this is what's going on in my life and pray for each other and like be there with each other in ways that we can't do here on Sunday mornings. Then the next step is the core. The core is come and serve, right? And Jesus was taking people through these steps all the time. In fact, like when he first reached out to Peter, it was a come and see experience. He said, you know what, Peter? Um, if you throw your nets over on the other side of the boat, uh, I'm going to fill it up with fish. And he filled Peter's nets up with fish. And Peter said, I like this guy. I'm going to hang around him, right? So he wasn't saying to Peter right at the beginning, I want you to come and serve. He was saying, I want, I want you to come and experience, right? And he just moved his disciples down this path of a deeper, deeper, deeper sense of identity with him. We have a dream team here, the dream team that set up all of this, our setup team uh, who comes and serves. At 8 o'clock this morning, this place was buzzing with activity, people just serving and behind the scenes, ready to serve uh, and, and helping out. And, and this, is a, this is like a part of their life that is you know, growing and meaningful and powerful because they're deepening their relationship with Christ through service to other people. You know, if you're out there in the nursery holding a baby so that a mom can come in here and experience, you know, the the worship and hear the gospel, I mean, that's serving in a powerful and eternal way, you know. Um, So you're welcome, nursery, for that plug. Um, No. No, but seriously, like, when we come and serve in these different roles, we're actually— we're actually a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're deepening our identity, our commitment to him. And then the, the, the final step is the commissioned. And this is, I don't know if you can see this, but it says come and go. And this is where Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's saying to us, and he's saying to everyone who follows him, what I want you to do is take all of this, that you're, you're growing and you're learning and the intimacy of your life and all that you're experiencing here, and take it out of here. Right, Because this is just a place to get empowered and a place to get encouraged and inspired and a place to worship. But this isn't the game. This is the huddle. Right, The game is out there. And when we walk out of these doors and when we're in our schools and when we're in our workplace and we're living out a life that expresses the love and the grace and the mercy of God to people, that's where it's at. When it spills out of us and we are serving people because we're commissioned as followers of Jesus to bring the gospel through the way we live to the people that we meet all around us. Whether we're in a store, whether we're out in the community, whether we're at school, no matter where it is, this is where we go. And Jesus is calling us, this is where I want you to become. This is where I want you to get as an identity, as your identity. So Jesus was not primarily interested in what we think and and not primarily interested in what we do. He was primarily interested in who we are. He wanted us to become his followers. He wanted us to identify deeply with him. And the way that this happened throughout the New Testament, the way that his followers would identify themselves publicly with Jesus was through baptism. And, and there's, a, there's a book in the New Testament right after the Gospels. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you've got Acts. 
And Acts is, is a book that gives the history of the church. And it just basically says, you know, here's what happened, here's what happened. And all through the book of Acts, you find that when people became believers, when they said, okay, I'm, I'm committing my heart to the Lord, I'm giving my life to Jesus, I'm putting my trust in him, then they would immediately go and they would get baptized. Just over and over and over. We saw in, in, in the second chapter of the book of Acts, um, the apostle Peter preached a sermon. And he preached the gospel. And he basically said, Jesus came and he died for you, and he was buried, and he rose again, and he came to save you, and to save you from your sins, and give you a new life, and to empower you to go out, and help other people, and serve other people, and bring other people to the love that you're experiencing, and when he finished preaching that sermon, the Bible says that 3,000 people, 3,000 people came forward and got baptized on that day. 3,000, that's a good launch to the church. 3,000 people came and got baptized on that day. And then, you know, shortly after that, we see that uh, Philip went up to Samaria. And, and so now it's, it's beyond just the Jewish people that were, there, that were, you know, there in Jerusalem. Now it's out in Samaria. And so Samaritans are then getting baptized. And then uh, Paul goes and gets baptized. And then they, they, they go to, the Corn, to Cornelius, who's a Roman jailer. And he and his family get baptized. So now it's in Rome. And then a woman named Lydia and her family in, in what's now Turkey gets baptized. And the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8 gets baptized. And this gospel spreads to Africa. And within just... Within a few years, people are getting baptized all over the world because they're all saying, you know what? I want to throw myself all in with Jesus. I want to trust him for my life. I want to give myself to him. And then I want to follow him for the rest of my life. So what they were doing initially with baptism is they were experiencing baptism as a new identity. Baptism is a new identity. Um, a lot of times we identify ourselves or we can, we can sort of identify other people just by looking at them, you know, just by what they wear and, and you know, how they dress. And you can kind of get a bead on them. And I'll give you an example of this. Sh- show this picture. We can kind of see, right? You look at these folks and you go, yeah, I kind of got that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of see where he's. Yeah, I totally got that guy. I'm going to stay away from him. Yeah, I kind of, you know, just by their outward appearance. I mean, it's not that we know everything about them, but a lot of who they are is identifiable just by the way they dress, right, and, and what they wear. The Bible uses this metaphor of, of clothing as identity. If you look in um, Galatians, it says this. It says, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. In other words, the thing that you put on, the thing that identifies you to everybody else in the world is Christ. He comes first. He's more important than your political identity, your racial identity, your family identity, your job identity, your gifts identity, anything else. You put on Christ so that when other people see you, primarily they see a follower of Jesus. And then all the other qualities are are subservient to that quality and that identity. Because he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male, there's no female, for all of you are one. In Christ Jesus. When you identify with Jesus, you become part of the universal family of people who are followers of Jesus, and that becomes primarily your identity. The second thing that baptism signifies is it's a new direction. It's not just a new identity, but it's a new direction. Um, 
Dr. Tony Evans, the pastor down in Texas, tells this story, and I don't know if it's true, but that's really beside the point because it's a really good story, um, tells the story about a, a Navy captain who, on a foggy night, is, you know, taking the, the ship through the water, and the, the visibility is low, and they're moving through the water, and he sees what appears to be another vessel moving towards him, uh, and can't quite make it out, but it looks like the other vessel is coming straight towards him, and he's on a collision course. So we, the, this captain, this you know, this navy captain, signals the other, the other ship and says, uh, "We are on a collision course. Advisable that you change course by twenty degrees." Then he gets a signal back from the other side that says, "Advisable that you change direction twenty degrees," and the navy captain is like. <laughs> All right, clearly this guy doesn't know, you know who I am. So he says, uh, this is a captain in the U.S. Naval Forces, uh, strongly advisable that you change course by 20 degrees. And he gets a signal back from the other one that says, this is a seaman second class, strongly advisable that you change course by 20 degrees. The captain is now like getting a little bit ticked off because here's somebody just, you know, he's used to people following his orders. And so he sends out this other final message, and it says, this is a battleship. Change course immediately. He gets a signal back that says, this is a lighthouse. <laughs> and that, was just, that took a while just to ripple on out there. So the captain changed course. When we identify ourselves with Jesus in baptism, it changes the trajectory of our life. We're moving in one direction. When we become, when we identify ourselves with him, it changes our direction. Suddenly, we're not on the course that we plot for ourselves. We're on the course that he plots for us, right? We're on that. We, we, he is now the rock around which we navigate. He is, his, his word, his command is our authority. We're not the authority of our own life anymore. We're followers of his, and we seek to follow him and obey him. In fact, if you look at this next passage in Matthew, uh, it says, go, Jesus said this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. In other words, I want you to change direction. I want you to start changing course. I don't want you to keep going the way that you're going. When you're a follower of Jesus, you start to change course. Now, some of you have been baptized, and maybe it's been a while, and you go, you know, I've gotten off course. But I want you just to reflect back on that moment of your baptism, because that's the moment where you dedicated yourself to following him. So, so, so just like a ship that gets off track, you know, as long as it knows its coordinates and as long as it knows where it's supposed to be going, it can get right back on track, right? So Jesus is saying, look, I'm the rock. I'm the authority. I want you to follow me. And, and, and so we follow Jesus through baptism. And then the final thing that I want to share with you is that baptism signifies a new life. Baptism is a brand new new life. It's not like you're just getting modified. It's not like you're just slightly improving. It's not like it's just a little bit better than what it was. Baptism means that the old you is dead, crucified with Christ, and buried with him in baptism, and you are raised to a new life. In fact, look at this passage from Romans. It says, all of us 
who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. It says, did you not know that? That's why there's a question mark. Paul's, Paul's not actually asking the question. Um, he says, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. Not an old life, a new life. There's a really beautiful story in the book of Matthew where uh, Jesus had just gotten done teaching a huge crowd and he's coming back into a village and a man comes to him with leprosy and falls down before Jesus. Now a man with leprosy in the first century, this was a complete social pariah. This would mean that he had, you know, sort of tumors all over his face and all over his arms. This would mean that his internal organs were being affected by this disease. This would mean that his, his bones were deteriorating under, the, um, under the, the effects of this disease. And according to the Talmud, no one was allowed to touch someone with leprosy. Couldn't touch them. So this man had, had not been touched in years. No one, had, no one had put their arm around him. No one had patted him on the back. No one had squeezed his hand and said, it's going to be okay. In fact, according to the Talmud, if the wind was blowing, you had to even be further from the man. You had to be 150 feet from him. You just couldn't be around that man. And if anybody started to get near him, there was a requirement that he yell out to anyone coming near him, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. He's identifying himself over and over. This is who I am. I'm unclean. That's what I am. That's my identity. I am unclean. And you can't come near me because I'll, I'll, I'm toxic and I'll, you know, I'll harm you if you come near me. So when he comes to Jesus, he comes to Jesus and he bows down before Jesus and falls down in front of Jesus. And he says, Master, if you would be willing, just make me clean. Make me clean. And this, such a beautiful moment in, in, this, go, in this gospel. Because the, the scripture makes a point to say that Jesus reached down and touched the man. This man who had not been touched, who had no affection, no kindness, no gentleness shown to him in who knows how long, maybe years. Jesus reaches down and he touches him and he says, be clean. Just like that, you went from an old life to a new life. You want, and, and, and the scripture says he immediately was made clean. He went from a life of just having to, to yell out to everyone, I'm unclean, to a life where he could go back to his family and his friends and he could have love and he could, you know, marry and he could hug someone and he could put his arm around a friend and they could pat him on the back and he could experience what it's like to be just a guy, just an okay guy with a new life, right? And not this unclean travesty, not this you know, broken outcast from the, from the community, a social pariah. And just like that, he's made clean. Jesus, in baptism, gives us new life. Those sins, those things that we carry around with us, the shame and the guilt of, the, of, of our past is washed away in the waters of baptism. The sins that we've experienced, the things that we've done are washed away in the water of baptism. And we are made clean and we are given a new life in Christ through baptism when we identify ourselves with Jesus. I want to invite those of you, why don't we just stand together, all of us right now. 
I'm not going to ask all of us to get baptized, but <laughs> let's all stand together. And why don't we have our music team come up here? Let's have our baptism team come up here. Uh, those who are helping and serving uh, with the baptism. Uh, and what I'm going to what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm just going to invite you. If you are here today and you have just in your heart said, you know what, I. I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to make that commitment. I'm prepared to step forward and get baptized and and publicly affirm my identity in Jesus. There's nothing to stop you. In fact, the the story of the Ethiopian eunuch that I talked to you about, he, he, he was given the gospel. He was taught the gospel and he was riding along in a chariot with Philip and they came upon a river and there's water there. And and he said, look, here's water. What would prevent me from getting baptized? Right? Well, you know what? Ray's got the water turned on, folks, and we've got water here in the tank. So what would prevent you from getting baptized? And so I'm going to invite you to do that. Amen. The baptism team's ready for you. So let me pray for you, and then we will, we will sing a song. And if you want to get baptized, the men, you can go straight back there. Justin and Joseph will show you where to go. They'll turn the lights on for you. There's a nice changing room back there. There's scented candles uh, there's no, there, there aren't scented candles, but there, there's other good stuff. The women, there's a room right there where you can get changed and you'll come right out here and get baptized. What do you think about that? You like that? Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. We ask that you would move in the hearts of the people who are here today that are ready to make a public declaration of their faith and their identity with you. We ask that you would soften their hearts. We ask, Lord God, that you would move in them to take that step, to take that next step of identity, that next step of commitment, and and turn themselves wholly over to you so that you can give them a new life, a new identity. You can wash away their sins and put them on the path that you've called them to be on. Father, we praise you, we thank you, and we worship you to you be all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on forward if you want to get baptized. You can come straight forward here and head right back there. Let's all sing.
Go ahead and grab a seat.